This episode is brought to you by Uvo Kinesio Tape. Y-U-V-O Kinesio Tape. Kinesio Tape is great if you're sore, banged up, or just kind of lazy. It's great to recover from your gym session, uh, those amateur sports sessions you guys are all playing in. Uh, look like a pro athlete with Uvo Kinesio Tape. Find it today at eBay's One Store. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain, Ricky Ricardo. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Swift Kicks podcast. I'm Alex. Over the weekend, we had Manchester United tying Wolves, taking one point away from a game they likely should have gotten three from. Mourinho coming out saying he didn't like his players' attitude. Paul Pogba, his captain, arguing that Man United need to attack, 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 essentially saying you need to change your tactics up, Mourinho. Pogba then was stripped of the captaincy. They were knocked out of the League Cup this week to lowly Derby County, who was coached by the Spooner-in-Chief Frank Lampard and our favorite author. And that was done at Old Trafford at home. Now there's reports that Pogba wants to leave the club. Ben, got to ask you off the bat, what's going on there? Um, honestly, I think this is a case of who cares? This is a game that means absolutely nothing to anyone. Uh, we're still in the Champions League, still in the Prem. The Prem we can go back to later, but I do think nobody cares. I think um, anytime you start with... Fellaini on the pitch or you know if Fellaini is a key player you're in trouble scored in the 95th minute to take it to extra time which was kind of scary so we were playing from behind um I don't know that I believe he's been stripped of the captain arms armband we'll have to find out this weekend um I, I have been saying all along though if you know Pogba is indeed the issue why is he captain so this will kind of play you know lend an ear to that let's get real though that's pretty embarrassing to lose 2-2 but you know who else lost you can't lose 2-2. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. What I meant to say before you were such a jerk is we lost some PKs. We lost. We could conceding two goals in, in Darby County either way is is embarrassing. You lost to Frank Lampard's book club. Yeah, that's okay. Frankie and the Pirates can come back another day. But Liverpool also lost, and I don't see anyone talking about that. So, hmm. Well, they did... They lost to Chelsea in the League Cup, but they were playing like their their team was so changed up. They had eight players different, and I think both teams really did. So we're looking ahead to this weekend. We got Chelsea and Liverpool playing in the Premier League. Chelsea slipping up over the weekend, losing their first first points from this season. They were going into this game. We were kind of looking at this game being the big big test for both of these teams, and it still will be. But I think that it's definitely more of a point to prove. Can Chelsea get back on that level playing field with Liverpool? Yeah, and going back to that Man United game, they did rest De Gea, and I've always said a Man United without De Gea is the end of the world. Yeah. So, And, and he got sent off at that as well, so let's keep that in mind. Yeah, uh, the keeper was sent off in the 67th minute. So it, it is what it is. And yeah, it, you know, it was interesting seeing Chelsea kind of take a tumble, give up their first set of points, if you will, even though nil nil is nil nil. That was the biggest upset for me over the weekend. Bookies had them pretty high favorites to win. Like I'm pretty sure I took a bet on them to win three nil. <laughs> you know, they were looking good. Are West Ham that good, or did Chelsea slip up? What do you think? Uh, I think this is a slip up by Chelsea. I mean, I do think that Chelsea have had a lot of trouble, especially finding the right midfield right now. Um, they don't seem to have like that cohesiveness that they've always sort of used to always have. And I think that going forward, that's going to be an issue. And I think that was something that we were maybe looking forward to in this game against Liverpool. You know, it, it came out a little bit earlier that there is that problem there. It showed against West Ham and maybe it will again against Liverpool. The other problem I think they have is that their strikers 
just aren't firing on any cylinders. You know, even if some of these midfielder, like I think I saw Gervinho over the weekend game, he had close to 200 passes. He made 180 passes, which is a ridiculous stat. It's like a record for the club. But none of these balls were like these great, amazing through balls to the strikers or anything like that. They were just, you know, quick passes. He was sort of the, the holding midfielder who would take the passes from the back and move them up and around. But even if he did make these great passes, you know, who's he going to be passing it to? It's like Giroud and he just hasn't done anything. He didn't do anything in the World Cup and he just hasn't woken up since. And I don't think that Chelsea have the firepower to get as many goals as a Liverpool or a resurgent Man City. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think there's something to be said for Chelsea's attack. And I think they, they're they doing something right. Don't get me wrong. They're sitting tied second. And like Liverpool will give up points eventually. Who knows when? But I, I, I my thing with them right now is uh, the 4-3-3 doesn't suit him. Giroud isn't someone that's going to score lots of goals. He's not that standalone striker. Eden Hazard out wide is doing them wonders. Same with Willian hasn't really done a whole lot. So you're really depending on a left winger to cut in and score your goals for you. But, you know, it's not happening. And I think it's the 4-3-3 just doesn't suit them. They might be better off going with like a, you know, 3-5-2 something that's a little bit more dynamic up top because of how efficient they are passing the ball. Right. You know what we saw this week for the first time, all Premier League, We got it took six weeks. In the sixth week, we had the first week with no red cards. Finally. I know, I'm just saying. I think that's kind Either, of a good sign. Yeah, that or like it's um they need to step it up and act like they care. I don't think there's enough passion this week. <laughs> okay. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think passion gets equated to, to red cards. No. Absolutely not. And I also think there's something going on here with you saw a couple teams take tumbles. Man United Wolves was one of those teams where you're seeing the effects of the teams that went all out in the Champions League kind of taking a hit. And I think your more experienced coaches are going to know like, all right, like this is the week we, you know, we're going to lose this week. Not necessarily lose, but we're giving up this week to give. Uh, the Champions League more efforts, and then you get another cup game. You know what I mean? Like think about that time frame. They went from Premier League to UEFA National uh, Nations Cup to Champions League to Premier League to Careless Cup, and now back to Premier League. It's it's crazy amount of soccer going on right now, and I love it. But at the same time, like you're gonna have teams that are kind of kind of trip up here again. I think you could see Man United do that again. Uh, this week there you know if those woes are truly going on i think you'll see man united struggle at a west ham who've gained a head of steam after drawing nil nil at home against chelsea the biggest surprise for me this weekend was burnley against bournemouth i don't know where that came from four nil at home it was a pretty good result for burnley yeah because we were talking uh, about bournemouth you know they had snuck up into the top five last week and it, it looks like that was a complete fluke and like you said they're they're going to sort of drop back down into the middle of the table there Um, They had a good run at the beginning. I think they've had a couple easier opening schedule of games, um, and now they're going to come into the thick of it now. So interesting, you know, for Bournemouth. Um, Your Man City, you almost got your prediction correct again. You know, you've been saying that they're going to score seven goals on a team once. They scored five (laughs) this time, so you're getting closer. In Cardiff, too. Like I I was very surprised about that. I thought that was going to be the game that you saw. I thought it was going to follow suit. You got Man United kind of stumbling. Chelsea not doing so great, just looking at the scorecard, if you will. I thought Man City were going to follow suit. I know we talked about that ahead of time, but 
it's because of that Champions League. But you know what? Man City didn't perform that well in the Champions League. Is it possible that their philosophy is to care more about the Premier League right now? Get out of the group stages in the Champions League, then throw all your eggs in that basket then? Maybe. So we'll have to see how that pans out. I think Liverpool are showing some good form, though. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool just look like a very, very good team. I mean, they look good in Europe. They've looked good playing in the Premier League. Um, it was interesting that Mo Salah was uh, one of the top three players in the voting for the FIFA Best Player Award. We didn't win, obviously, but he was up there, um, and he hasn't even been in any sort of form in the Premier League this season. Nothing like that we saw from last season, which I think is one of those one-off things. You know, you can't expect him to be scoring what, like, forty-five goals this season as well. But you do expect him to be getting something. I think he's sitting on just one or two right now. So if you get him back too, you know, that's just another threat that Liverpool is going to have moving forward. So they're going to be doing great. They come up against Chelsea. This weekend, back to back games. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, we talked about the League Cup game that they lost, but again, both teams had a very, very different squad. You know, I think there was close to eight changes on each team. This one will be interesting. I think Chelsea winning almost opens the door not only for Chelsea but also for Manchester City. You know, Man City has gotten back into the top three. They're back in that title race after their early slip up, so they're going to be watching this game very closely to see what happens there. But I do expect Liverpool to come out on top. I think, like I said, they're the ones that have the firepower they're the ones that have the people that can score their midfield is working great everything seems to be going pretty swimmingly well right now at Liverpool so I think that they'll come out on top here yeah I I kind of agree with you I think Liverpool Chelsea in this uh in the cup that took place the other day really kind of was a wash for them I don't think that game was that important every game is important but when you get the Premier League Champions League going well FA Cup this one I think takes the back burner for Klopp I just don't think he's he needs to focus on that as much. I kind of caught off guard that they're playing back-to-back. That's kind of cool. I don't know when the last time you saw Premier League teams play each other twice in one week. Yeah, I mean, it's within like three days, you know, the players get to know each other pretty well. So I think this week coming up, we got some other good games going on as well. I think Arsenal-Watford something to watch. I think that's going to be interesting. I think that'll probably be your closest game of the week. Like, There's the most potential for that to go either way. Chelsea-Liverpool... Is definitely going to be a, a great game to catch, but I think Arsenal-Watford has that kind of unknown dynamic still going on. And if Arsenal win that one, uh, theoretically, they could jump into fourth place. So they could, you know, everything we were talking about, how they had a very slow start and they didn't look too good. Maybe there was some issues with the manager. All of that seems to, well, we'll, we'll talk after this weekend, but all of that seems to possibly be going away. You know, they could be doing pretty well for themselves, sitting in their, their uh, fourth place, which they always seem to be in. And then for Watford, you know, it's is the storybook going to continue? Are they going to still stay in fourth place? possibly third place if they get a win or are they going to start slipping down or are they going to sort of go the way that born crumble you know and you know you want them everybody i think rooting is a neutral everybody wants to see watford stay up there and challenge yeah you know, we all kind of get the reminisce on the fact that leicester city came up and won the league so why can't watford they're the people's team and you know it's just a matter of time before tom hanks comes out and says i picked them to win it all yeah believe when i see it um <laughs> the real question alex is Revisiting an old conversation, three teams worse than Newcastle. Are you guys going to get out of the danger zone? I really thought that if there was any chance of us getting our first win off the bat, it would have been against Crystal Palace. And we looked really bad this last game. There wasn't any positives to take away. I've been talking about how the defense looked good, how you know at least we had that to work off of and we could 
I thought that the midfield has always been our, our weak link. And this past weekend, everything just looked like it just wasn't moving. And I think it's starting to really wear on the players mentally as well. I think they're starting to think, like, are we going to actually get these points? Are we going to actually, you know, do something? Um, Rafa, you know, he's always going to be... It's always easy to go out in front of a camera and say, you know, I believe, I believe, and we can win, and, you know, we just got to keep working harder, all that. But, you know, Newcastle, other than these League Cups and stuff, we don't have anything to focus on. This should be our number one priority, and really nothing's going to change until the owner, Mike Ashley, gets out. You know, we're not going to spend any money on anybody, any players, anything like that. And this is the the tale that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the season, I fear, um, and possibly into next season. Hopefully, we get to stay up. But got Leicester City coming up this weekend. That was one of the games that I was looking at that maybe we get another draw at. Um, but you really, really I don't know, man. That we get a win. I, I think you guys actually. I, I think you're a nil nil loss on the or not loss, dude. I don't know what's wrong with me today. It's one of those days. <laughs> A nil-nil draw on the road is nothing to be ashamed about. You want a tie when you're on the road. Like, really, you do. Like, a win's great, but realistically, a draw, coming away with any points on a losing streak is something. And I I think, you know, you're going to be at home against a Leicester City who are, I won't necessarily say struggling, but aren't as dominant as you might like to see out of them. I, I think that's your opportunity. I think last week we expected it just because of who they were playing, but... You know, going into the city and playing against Crystal Palace is no joke. Like th- these these away games are much more tough than we we kind of give them credit for. So I do think that there's room for Newcastle to get those three points this weekend and uh, get them out of the danger zone. Yeah, I mean you're looking at you know Cardiff City and Huddersfield are definitely your two teams that are worse. But you you know you got to look at West Ham got to win. And Burnley have a win under their belt now too. So a strong win too. That's a four-zero win's a statement. Yeah, and it starts to you know teams start to separate a little bit now. You know, like I said, we're well, we're in week six. So now you you're starting to see the the top teams pull away, and you've got a couple stragglers. You got like your Watfords and your Bournemouth that sort of made it in there, but then it starts to all rearrange itself where we get back to it just being Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, United, Tottenham up there. Um, you get your big chunky middle, and then it's the bottom four or five teams that will be fighting it out for the rest of the season, and that's starting to all sort of come into play right now, and you really hope for Newcastle that we can get three points, just get ourselves in a healthy position at least, looking forward to Man U, who I think have got a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I hear you on that. I also think, um, you know, a couple other similar stories going on. I do think you're going to see some interesting things come out uh, of this weekend, particular to the Chelsea-Liverpool game. I think you're going to see a one-all draw there or a two-all draw. I think uh, Chelsea at home has an advantage. I don't think – I think Liverpool are in good shape. I don't think they're going to stumble. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I think Chelsea are that good. Liverpool are that good. You're going to have, uh, you know – a standoff, if you will. I don't think anyone's going to come out on top in that one. Um, so I think you'll see a draw there, which favors your your Man Cities uh, of the world. The other games that I'm kind of interested in seeing is with Burnley. I think Burnley have an opportunity now to make a statement. You come off a 4-0 win, a clean sheet's a good sign. But putting four goals away, granted they were at home, sets a tone. Yeah. That's like, hey, hey, look, we're here to play. I think anything above two is, you know, three nil, four nil, something to, to be reckoned with. I think Everton Fulham could be another kind of slow game, but I think he'll get uh, one or two goals out of it. And then it's really Huddersfield Tottenham. If Tottenham want to be a, a team that are we're, we're talking about, you know, six six to twelve weeks from now, hey, Tottenham are still in the question. 
these are games they have to kind of take away on the road. Your, your upper half of the table teams against these lower teams need to win and get three points on these games. Like the, the one point is great if you want to be around mid table, but for a team like Tottenham, they need to be winning games like that. Right. And like we were saying about how Watford, you know, it's up to them to keep winning to sort of stay in this level or they'll start dropping yeah. below the Tottenham Arsenal Man United's and they'll slip back into that mid table. You know, it's up to Watford to win to keep the pressure up on the likes of Tottenham so that they have to win to keep staying up as well. Watford come out with three points from this weekend. They're in good shape yep. because, you know, it's a tough game. They're on the road. So really that's a game you draw. Arsenal are a top five, top six team, you know, mid table team. So you want a point or three points ideally. But if you come out, at least with the point, they're then going against Bournemouth the week after, and then looking at Wolves, and then Huddersfield, so and then Newcastle, and I think they have a good run where they can stay up there. Yeah, but sure. it, it's really you know it's time to perform for Watford. Like I think it's now or never. I think they were unlucky against Man United a couple weeks ago, but Fulham was worrying for me. That one-all draw against Fulham was concerning. Yeah, and you know Fulham too are one of those teams that just haven't looked very good this season. They've just looked plain. I think is the the best way to put it. They haven't. Nothing has stood out to me, and they they don't have any amazing goals that they score. There's no nothing really comes out from them. I think Fulham will probably stay up. Uh, but they'll be like you know fifteenth or something like that. It'll just be a they'll just be a Premier League team, which is good for them. But you know, right, I just uh, right. I don't think that they they're not going to set the world ablaze. They're not going to be in this conversation. You know, what I mean, they're not going to be who we're talking about. I think Watford. One thing that was interesting about Watford. Watford have struggled to score from open play. A lot of set pieces. And I've I've been a big proponent of if you want to be in these conversations and be that good. Set pieces will only get you so far, so they're going to have to figure out some open play goals. And I think that's what happened against Fulham. Fulham's a team that's conceding almost more goals than anyone else in the league. So I expect to see it there. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to go back to Man United with you. I know that you said the the losses didn't really mean anything, but there has been a lot that's been made about uh, Mourinho and Pogba. Is at some point, you know, this has obviously escalated to a certain point. I don't know if you saw the video of the two of them on the training ground. Um, it looked like they were both kind of like scowling at each other. There's a, a lot of reports that A, that Pogba wants to leave the club. B, that it's sort of divided the locker room, you know, Team Pogba, Team Mourinho. What do you think the outcome is? Do you think that, if anything, uh, like the executive vice chairman, Ed Woodward needs to come out and sort of say, like, hey, I'm backing one or the other, or does he need to come out to both of them and say, hey, stop this, or we get rid of both of you? I, you know, I don't buy it. I, I don't know why. I think there's been a meal made of this. I think there's definitely something going on. I think you have a player who wants to win so bad that he's willing to let his coach know, but that's kind of what you want from a captain. Like, like, I want to separate the two people and talk about them as individuals and then bring it together, if you will. So, like, Pogba is a world champion. He's young. He's got a lot to prove. He's proven that he can influence the game in the Premier League. You know, he he has the ability to, to make a huge difference in the game. I do think he is a personality. Like, you know, I think he's a personality. I think he has a lot of character. And for some people, it's a little too much. I I, I more so think, though, that looking at Jose Mourinho, you have another personality who's kind of a lot, but he's also awfully honest with the press. And if he's denying that Paul Pogba and him have had a falling out, I don't necessarily get it. I feel like he'd be the first to say it. He is all too often like overly honest, like 
calling uh, Rashford naive when he gets sent off. Like, I imagine that wasn't taken too well. But I, I honestly think there's not that that big of a rift going on. I think you have two people who are very, very intelligent with soccer. Or what you have is you have a Paul Pogba who is trying to go away from the team and Jose Mourinho needs to know he needs to cut his ties. I don't know that you've – it's either you've never seen Jose Mourinho have to deal with someone with that much personality. I think the closest personality he would have had to have dealt with was probably John Terry when he was in his prime because John Terry is probably a handful to coach. But it, it's – I you know what, man? Like he's still playing him. Like if you – Sir Alex Ferguson, right? And I know I keep going back to him and I want to bring that up in a second. Sir Alex Ferguson would have absolutely benched him. He left David Beckham out of the team for like two months once because he said something in the press. If it was that big of a deal, any coach would let him go at this level. It's not worth the hassle. Even Jose. The only thing that could be going on, which is a bigger concern, is if Jose Mourinho is in fact trying to win this ego battle of like you will submit and play my style of soccer to the point that is detrimental, then we have a bigger issue. Then we have a concern that this coach isn't in it for the club. He's in it for himself. Well, let me ask you this. you're, You're talking about is he in it for himself or is he in it for the club or anything like that? My question is, is he in it? For anything right now it, it just looks like his body language is so off that he you know he, he like almost doesn't want to be there i think he's at a point in his career where he's been winning so much that this might be the first time we've had a look at jose Mourinho and said hey you got to rebuild a team his emotional intelligence is piss poor like you see it exactly in his face you know he's frustrated but he should be frustrated he just lost to darby county you know what right. i mean like, you want that from your coach. If he were to go in there and be, eh, no one cares, like I just said 20 minutes ago, like, it would be a bigger problem. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think any coach will tell you there are times that no matter how strong you want to look, you're defeated. You lose with the team. And he's very passionate and forthcoming. I, I did want to point out that Alex Ferguson had had a brain hemorrhage and returned to the club for the first time into the field for the first time. Yeah. And he was absolutely chuffed. You, you see a man, he's getting he got yeah, on his feet, all he was clapping like he'd scored a goal. He looked great. That was awesome to see. I you know, and I think he might be in Jose's ear too, because I know he came into the conversation of recruiting Jose Mourinho. So I, I don't know, man. Like it's either if he shows up Saturday, no captains are in band, his his minutes are are limited. That might be it. I'd also like to see Jose Mourinho kind of pick a squad and stick with it. Yeah. And kind of let them develop. But I'm not completely buying it. Other thing to talk about with Man United is you got Alexi Sanchez, who seems to sort of lost himself. He's not really doing much. You know, I don't think that they're paying him all this money. And what is he doing? And I think that, it, you know, you could say that there's a lot of tor- turmoil going on right now. And that could open up the door for some homegrown talent, i.e. Rashford. Yeah, I, I think that those frustrations come from trying too many things. Like he's played probably like eight or nine different lineups this year. And when you do that, like I think it was against wolves actually against Wolverhampton, for instance, he started Fellaini at center midfield in a four, three, three. He put Fellaini on an Island in the middle of the field. And Fellaini for me, doesn't have the speed. He's good enough in there, but he didn't have the speed or the skill to control the play like that. And then you got Alexi Sanchez out front. Up front, Jesse Lingard up front, Lukaku up front, Pogba out wide, and Fred out wide. Like, what are you doing with Fellaini, man? Like, <laughs> I'd like to see him considered for a center back role. 
I really would. I think if you're going to play him and you think he's that valuable, put him in the back. Let him be big and tall, win the headers, and put someone next to him that's extremely fast. They've had defensive issues. Right. And De Gea is good enough to kind of put him in his place, make sure he's playing in the right positions. But I, I think your issue there is more stop changing it. Like, let's stick with something and, and let it kind of uh, let that chemistry build and let the team come together for better results. Right. I agree. A lot to talk about there. Definitely a lot going on with Manchester United. Uh, we'll see how they play out this weekend. Uh, I wanted to move on to the Spanish League for you, though. So some interesting things happened uh, over the week. You had the league's bottom team beating top-rated Barcelona right now. The first time since 1986 that Barcelona have lost to the bottom of the league team. Real Madrid also lost 3-0 to Sevilla. Does that open up the door? Atletico Madrid, they have to play Real Madrid in the derby this weekend at the Bernabeu. You know, they've had a slow start, kind of like an Arsenal almost. Um, they've had a slow start. Do you think they can come back into that talk of, you know, taking over the title? I don't know. I, I'm on the fence. Again, I think you saw Real Madrid and Barcelona suffering from um, Champions League hangovers, if you will. And they came back into it. They rest players because they're going to pick up those points in the win. The thing is, is like, for me in the in La Liga, there's not really that much at stake if you lose two or three games. You know what I mean? Like, you're gonna play uh, Villadolid again. You're gonna you're gonna batter them like seven or eight nil. They're tied first and second. Real Madrid. You got Atletico kind of lingering right there. They could be if it continues. I think Real Madrid is the bigger concern for me because uh, they're without Ronaldo, but they're, they're performing. You know what I mean? I, I don't think it's all hope is lost. I think they're still that dominant really though. I, I just don't see it being that big of an issue. I think there's a lot of soccer coming up, especially this, these past three weeks and next week as well. Cause you got the second champions league games coming up. So I, I'm not really that, that concerned. I do think though, Barcelona, are, are we seeing Messi kind of drift away from that conversation of being the top three in the world? He didn't make the top three in um, player of the year this year. It was Modric, Ronaldo, Salah, like you said earlier. Is, is that what's happening there? What do you think? Uh, I mean, you have to take those with a little bit of grain of salt because the way they break down the, the voting for that is 25% of it goes towards the fans. So they're going to put forth who they think was the best, obviously. And I think Modric's, you know, deserved to win that. But, it, you know, confusingly, there's also the, the Ballon d'Or, which is the, the main personal cup that you can win. Um, and Messi is definitely still in that conversation. Um, I do think it's interesting that Barcelona have lost. They've dropped four points over the last two games. I don't know if you can put that down to, you know, game fatigue. I think that they don't have a lot to play for in their league. Like you said, you know, okay, dropping two or three games maybe doesn't hurt you as much as it would in the Premier League, you know, because essentially I think that the teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid, wherever they are, if they're in the Europa League or the Champions League, that is their main drive. You know, they're always going to be the, the three prongs that are in Valencia sort of gets in that mix. They try and always push the league a little bit further out into the European world as opposed to their home homegrown base. So I yeah. think, you know, but going back to just Messi, you know, again, you know, he from what what I've seen, he really outperformed in the Champions League. You know, he got his hat trick there in that game for the league and for his club. He never, or for his country rather, you know, he just hasn't shown up at all. And I did see something where he wasn't picked for the upcoming Argentina's uh, next international break. So, but that could be something where he just said, hey, listen, I'm playing way too much. I just don't want to play yeah. right now, you know. Um, Let me rest but it the also, legs. It could also be another, sig- like a, another sign that he 
just doesn't want to play for them. He's he's tired. He's knackered. He's worn out. You know, he just doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was also pretty surprised to see Salah. I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I don't know how he's in that conversation. Yeah, he won goal of the year, too, and it was for something, some goal that you would see any other weekend in the Premier League, you know. Right, something that's not extraordinary. I, I do think there's something to be said, though, like who – so if players are voting on this, that that's good to see. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily. It's nice. It's refreshing to see someone else in this conversation. But if it is strictly player driven, I'm very surprised not to see Lionel Messi in this. Oh yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, you, everyone I talk to is either Ronaldo or Messi, and he's just not in this conversation. Um, for me though, for, if Salah is in this conversation, Eden Hazard absolutely should be as well. There's no reason Eden Hazard's not there. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, in my opinion, should be in this conversation, even though he's in the uh, in the MLS. His his physical ability and tenacity to come back into this league or into this the world of soccer and play after an ACL tear and just dominate wherever he goes for me, warrants this kind of conversation. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that are at the, those fringe players that are coming through. And, just, you know, we talk about a lot about the young players. We talk about Mbappe and, and Rashford and stuff like that. And you're hoping that they can take the torch from them. But for right now, and we've seen over, I think that another part of these individual player trophies is that, you know, we've seen so much fatigue. It's been 10 years since somebody other than Ronaldo or Messi hasn't won one of these. You know what I mean? So yeah. to finally see some refreshing new faces is a good thing. It's a good thing for the sport in general as a spectator. Let me, you know? ask, you, let me ask you this, man. Hmm. Is is the day of Neymar coming on? Oh, yeah. I don't think that he made the right move switching clubs. I think that he puts too much. There's a couple of things. I think he puts too much pressure on himself uh, when he plays for Brazil. I think that the country puts a lot of pressure on him as well. And I don't right. think that he's, the, he's not a Ronaldo or a Ronaldinho. He's not that kind of player. He's somebody that should always be, he'll be on a winning team, but, and he'll score goals, but he needs to be the, almost like the sidekick to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't need to be, he can't be the man that everything goes through and where play happens. I think that a Ronaldo could have done it and Ronaldinho, you know, held that title for forever and he did it. But even with him, you know, he had a lot of help and a lot of great talent around him you know, coming up, he had Rivaldo, he had um, Roberto Carlos, Roberto Carlos, like he had all those kind of people with him. Roberto. <laughs> so I, I'm with you, man. I think um, I kind of want to elaborate on that further, though. I think you got a good point. I think you're bringing up some very valid points, specifically Ronaldinho at his finest had Ronaldo, had Roberto Carlos and had all this supporting cast that you would forget he was on the field. And then you just see flashes of just pure soccer sexiness. Yeah. Like the elastico comes out out of nowhere. And you're just like, what was that? Oh yeah. I forgot Ronaldinho playing. Yeah. You know and what then mean? everybody it, in the world's trying to copy him from then on. Absolutely. And then you got the commercials and everything else that follows it. But the thing is though, is he was like that sidekick that was kind of just, had that cheeky little grin on his face, and that was that. He'd score goals from time to time. He didn't ha- have anything other than that, like, callous, like, yeah, man, I, I can play. Right. I get down. I dabble. Right. And, and now, like, with, with Neymar, Neymar is supposed to be the second coming of, you know, Messi. And it just never, never panned out. And I think he kind of – I'm kind of refreshed to see the soccer world give him what he deserves for flopping so much. I think that's a very important lesson that was getting away from us where we're just celebrating people that flop. And it was kind of taken away from the game. And I know there's a lot of 
conversation around, well, physical soccer isn't the best style of soccer. That depends on who you ask. But straight up, I think there is too far. I think you need a physical element to the game because it it is a physical game. Foot skills come in great. Speed comes in great. But when you're flopping, it just ruins the sport for me. It does. It ruins ruins people's attitudes towards you as well, which – in turn, other than the pressure that they're putting on you, they now want to ask you, why are you doing this? You know, and then you're, you're thinking in your head, do I have to change my game? Do I, or do I keep doing this? Is this who I am now? You know, kind of thing. And I think right. it's all, I don't think that he has the mental strength as much as I don't think he has the actual physical strength as a player. Undoubtedly, he's a, you know, great skill player and he can score some fantastic goals and he can get you things, but you put him on a team without Messi or anybody else in an actual league that matters, you put him in the Premier League, he would get killed. Right. And in fairness, if I were him, why would I want to go to a team like the Premier League? Yeah. Did you see that the La Liga's Players Union is still acting out against games in the U.S.? Yeah, and then I saw that Real Madrid is probably one of the leading teams against this, that they they don't want to play. They say straight up that we're not going to go play in the U.S., to which the league responded by saying... Okay, we just won't do any games with Real Madrid overseas. That's fine. Well, Barcelona is willing to play, so we'll put them out there. So that does nothing for the sport. Like no, that yeah, I don't agree with that. I, I think it's sad. Yeah, let's get to some international soccer. So the USA is coming up on the one-year anniversary of them not making the World Cup, and apparently they still Whoa. haven't gotten an actual head coach for the team. They haven't even done any interviews. There's been reports that they went out to get the uh, the Houston coach. But other than that, they haven't even looked at, they haven't made like a candidate list or gone down that or anything like that. Apparently, they were too focused on trying to get the, the World Cup bid down and everything, which they did successfully get. But you're looking at the team that's going to, you're looking at the head coach that's going to be the leader of that team, hopefully. And they don't have anybody, no names are out there. So who do you, who do you think they should pick if you had a wish list? Hey, hang on. Well, can we come back to the wish list? Yeah. I, you just blew my mind. Why would they, like the U.S. focused all their efforts on not hiring a coach to get a bid? Yeah. So FIFA were like, hey, you don't have the ability to hire a head coach, yet we want to trust you with the World Cup. Yeah. That, yeah. that alone to me should have been a deciding factor of like, no, the U.S. is not fit for this tournament right now. They don't even have adequate coaches. But that's a shame. I think... I think it's a, it's a shame. It's a sign of, you know, there are some issues. I think it's time to bring in some international coaches. Uh, my top three, you ready for this? Yeah. Number one, Zinedine Zidane oh, yeah. is unemployed. <laughs> and the man would turn around the sport in this country. Yeah. He is the kind of guy that could change it. He probably just doesn't want to touch it with a stick. So Zinedine Zidane is number one. I would not mind seeing um, David Beckham considered for the job. Gary Neville. Um, and I think that's probably where I'd stick with it. Okay. I would say you got to throw Zidane in there just because he's out there. That would bring, you know, ridiculous attention to the, to the sport, to the U S team as well. The only thing that I think you have an issue with there, there's two things. One, he's apparently been linked with, with Beckham for his inner Miami team. So he could be there to the other thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well. He speak. I mean, I know he speaks English a little bit, but I don't know how well he'd be able to. You know, he's a, a very much a player's coach. You know what I mean? He's like almost the the anti Mourinho. He's he's one of the guys, and I think that's why it works so well when he was at Madrid. You know, he was just a he was a player that just happened to coach. You know what I mean? And I don't know if he could convey that as well. Um, but I think that he could definitely work on that, and especially for what is it twenty twenty six when we have the World Cup. Like he he could work on it before then. He could figure it out. Um, I think you also. 
are looking at the anti-Zidane is Mourinho. I think Mourinho's going to be gone from Manchester United at least in the next year or so. Dude, something that's an interesting take. Putting him on an international team, like I said, I think that his body language is all wrong because he's tired of, and like how you said, that he's tired of winning, but he's tired of just being in this day-to-day management of a club and everything that goes on with it. You know, everybody thinks of him just going out on the field and practicing with player and making them run drills and stuff. When you're at a club like Manchester United or the clubs that he's been at, you got to deal with people above you, the, the people below you, yeah. all the staff around the you. The politics of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And with an international team, you just got to worry about what team you're picking for these friendlies and this CONCACAF Cup and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of gets to zero in on certain weekends and then he gets everything else off. So that would be and You know what? A coach like him would sell tickets. You know what I mean? You bring a personality to the club. You got someone that can kind of deal with the drama, kind of get some hype behind it. Oh yeah, I imagine him on ESPN. Like he you would, want, right? Yeah, he'd be like him and Alexi Lawless would probably get in a slap fight. Alexi Lawless would probably lose. But I, you know, who it's gonna be? If I had to take one guess, it's it's gonna be Landon Donovan. Yeah, I could. You I was heard it say, here first. It will be Landon Donovan. They will win three games, get to the quarterfinals, then lose, and then fail to qualify in the next World Cup after that. That's my hot take. <laughs> so my third pick was going to be another American, Clint Dempsey. I would be all about it. I don't think he could coach. Yeah. I could see them giving him the job because I was thinking about that as well. I was like, Clint Dempsey retired abruptly. Yeah. And is probably going through some sort of training or something. And it's probably like wondering about his tenure. I just don't know that the guy that rips up the red card out of a ref's hand two years later can lead the country from a coaching standpoint. You want that passion, though. I, I do, but like, I don't know if he's technically savvy enough. Like, yeah. I don't know if he's got the brains for it. He's got the talent. Don't get me wrong. Like, he could still play. I'd be interested in seeing if a Bob Bradley shows up. You know what I mean? Like, someone that's been around the sport for a while. Forth, but I'm telling you, it's going to be for whatever reason because the soccer gods have have decided you're going to see Landon at Donovan, and that's going to be just the worst. Yeah, that would be interesting. I would love to see him fail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of people, I don't want to see fail though. Usain Bolt, he's got another trial coming up beginning of October. Uh, he's going out to the second game, uh, get some more playing time, and he looks like he's itching for it. Yeah, I, I think he is. He's dying to get on the pitch. I think he's looking at a year-long stunt with them. I think they're going to give him an opportunity. He's itching for a goal. I do think he's playing out of position still. But he's itching for a goal and itching for minutes. And I think it's been very I, – I genuinely think, at the very least, this club's like, hey, we're going to sell tickets because Usain Bolt's here. Oh, but 100%. we have to play. They're at the bottom of the league, so really it doesn't matter. I don't know if they have a regular uh, relegation system in place. But with that in mind, like – is this their opportunity to kind of say, like, eh, it's worth the loss, we're selling tickets, and we can buy a better player down the road? I don't know. I, I would like to see him score and do well. People do forget he had a um, stunt a little period of time where he was on trial with Dortmund. Yeah. So it's not his first first go at it. I do think he's a little long in the tooth as far as age goes, but he's still new to the sport so maybe he hasn't picked up the knocks and his legs you know he's fit enough so you know we're rooting on him we have to see how that pans out what do you think would you take him yeah absolutely like i said I, he is on like a, a year long 12 month proving ground sort of contract to see if he can do anything um and he says that he's been progressing that his touch has been getting better that 
I mean, he's already got the speed. No worries about that there, you know. Um, but I think, and we've been talking about this, his touch is the thing that you need to, you need to get back. And that only comes with time. It's something, it's right. it almost becomes a motor skill at that point, you know. He was out deployed on the left wing the last time, and he played about 20 minutes. So you'd like him to see him at least get like a half in him this time around. Um, and maybe throw him in the back or throw him on the left wing, like a left back kind of position or something like that. See if he can work with a different player, you know, different dynamics, test him out a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, it's the difference between being an athlete and a really good soccer player, you know. Yeah, he's an obvious athlete. That's fine. He's going to be right. able to run and do everything like that. Um, but is he going to be able to cut it as a player in a in a league? And I think the Australian league is something, it's a great place for him to start. You know, there's no expectations of him to do anything there. So, and like you said, for him to sell jerseys and all that kind of stuff, I think it's a win-win for the club to keep him on. Right. Yeah, he is us talking about him, and you know, we're not going to talk about him any other reason. Yeah, so we'll see what happens on October 12th. So yeah, I'm, I'm also looking forward to October 12th as well, and we'll have to see how that pans out. So that's it for the show. Um, for a little bit more, listen in to our injury time with our resident physio, Simo. All right, time now to turn an old segment into a new segment. We're calling this Injury Time with Daniel Sim. He is our resident physio. Dan, how's it going? Yeah, all good, thanks, fellas. How are you? Not bad. Pretty Uh, good. So we're looking forward to the Champions League. Uh, We had a couple of great matches the other day. Got some good ones lined up as well. Uh, What are your quick thoughts? Um, I was really disappointed with PSG. I don't know how you guys felt. I think watching them play against Liverpool, I was expecting it to be like a really, really big sort of backwards and forwards, you know, like loads of chances, both teams attacking really well. But PSG was so, so low energy. And I think, yeah, they were just disappointing all over the place. And I think although it looked like a close game on paper, Liverpool definitely deserved to win that. Yeah, for sure. And I think Um, uh, with PSG, you know, everybody, you know, you're paying the King's ransom really to Neymar to be, you know, the standout player in these Champions League games. You know, they're always going to win in League One, but their you know their big goal is to get better at in the Champions League, and he just looked like he could care less. He was trying to act cool and you know be like the 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 guy out there, but he just wasn't doing anything. I don't think I don't remember anything that he did that was special. Exactly. As that. a physio, Simo, could you please describe me what happened to Neymar's ankles? I don't know if you saw that, but Mane just absolutely <laughs> destroyed him. I'm not sure there's any treatment. That as, as bad as it looks on the ankles, it's worse for you, like for, for your pride, I think. Yeah, I think they put him I back do, under the shadow of Messi. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I do think it's worth pointing out that the most underrated player of all time scored, James Milner. How about that? Mate, <laughs> I was I was just about to say something about him because he was phenomenal. Like he, he gets so much stick because he is like your bog standard footballer. But sometimes you need that. You know, in big games like that, he, he quiets people down. And you've got young players playing with in, in the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold and things like that. And they need those characters like James Milner to sort of steady things, if you will. And, I mean, he does that incredibly well. So, I think he was – I was really impressed by him as a, as a player and as a, as a character on the pitch, especially when you look at Mo Salah's really not started the way that he finished the season last yeah. year. I think Liverpool have got so much – attacking firepower nowadays with Firmino coming on and 
you know, that's incredible after almost having his eye ripped out by the time. <laughs> Dude, Simo, we yeah. also have a bit on Jurgen Klopp looking like a James Bond supervillain. Uh, yeah, he does. He's definitely but got the, the most, the, but the happiest supervillain. <laughs> I'm looking at the at the headlines right now of uh, the Champions League. Just Man United. It says Young Boys versus Man United. They've got to come up with a better name than that. It just doesn't Young Boys. The- young. <laughs> they could do better than that. We wouldn't want them playing a Catholic team. We'll put it that way. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got. They've started this thing called the UEFA Nations League. It's a way to sort of gin up a little bit more of excitement about friendlies, making sure that friendlies aren't just these matches where you play your U21 team or anything like that. Over the international break, was there any more excitement from English fans or even just in general, you know, about a little bit more competition in these matches? Or do you think it's all just uh, a ploy to get more money? I think in general, because of how well the World Cup had gone, there was was a bit more excitement about things anyway. I mean, we didn't really perform the best in the games that we played um, as far as friendlies if you will I, I still thought they were friendlies I still didn't even realise it was a thing until yeah. I sort of noticed it and I think until they managed to get some sort of tangible reward I don't know what if there is one I'm, I, I, it just shows how little I actually know about the actual competition but yeah there's um, you get a, like a small trophy kind of thing and then those yeah. in the lower leagues a stipend yeah you kind of get you get to go up and down and like Ben said you there's some sort of money involved in it, but it's some minuscule money that you know isn't going to do anything. No, like if, they were, if they were offering, you know, like I don't, I don't know what you could do because you couldn't offer entry into a tournament by it because it essentially would get won by one of the big ones anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, they are. They're they're using that for the the European League and their uh, European Cup coming up, but they're also using it. They're talking about making it part of the World Cup qualifying stage. I mean, it'd be interesting if they decided to do that and and do away with the groups, if you will, and then just pick the best teams that, that finish the best in Europe. But, I mean, I'm, it'd be a difficult one to do because you'd have to play so many teams right. across, the, across the, that sort of time period, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and we've been talking about that a little bit too. And I think, you know, as a physio, you might be able to relate. Like, that's a lot of games we're putting on kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. injuries are going to stack up. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and, uh, you, I mean... There's always that club v um, country debate, isn't there? And Man City and Pep Guardiola, especially, they withdrew a couple of players. I think Raheem Sterling, they withdrew, didn't they, from the England squad? Um, yeah. Yep. With a back injury. Uh, I mean, that's what's going to happen eventually. The more competitive the games get, I mean, it's not an exact science, but you, the more likely you are to then get injuries, potentially. Uh, the more games you're asking them to play from an, from an international perspective and the more travelling you're asking them to do, the more likely maybe they, they are to get little injuries here and there. And also likely, the, the, the more likely that, countries, that clubs are ready to say, actually, no, we don't want them to play all these games. We don't want them to travel all over the world and, and whatnot. So it'd be interesting. I mean, if they keep the, the format now, which is very similar to how it was, I don't think clubs will have a problem. But if they start trying to introduce more international breaks and more games... I mean, we're going to turn it into cricket where clubs are being paid by the national teams and only playing for clubs uh, during tournament time when it's fun and they can make more money. Yeah. Do you know Joe Hart's a cricketer? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, he played cricket. Uh, he didn't He didn't get to go to the World Cup, right? So instead, he, he took time to play some cricket and then he criticized the England team while doing it. And it turns out that he was absolutely terrible at cricket as well. It's so. crap. It sucks. <laughs> Score like six runs. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's massive. 
Yeah, you should probably just stick to not doing sports. Yeah. So, Simo, any big things sticking out to you this this point in the season? Pretty early on, still. Well, it's really early. I mean, there's not been huge amounts of things happening. Obviously, I mean, in from an injury point of view, um, the biggest bit of news from that I can think of so far is obviously Oxlade Chamberlain being out for the whole season again. Like, so he obviously injured his knee at the back end of last season. Um, they knew the extent of the injury apparently, but didn't want to really because of the uh, Champions League final coming up, didn't really want to put a downer on things by saying that he was likely to miss the rest of this season too. Uh, but that's a big blow for him because, you know, he's a he's a good player and he's a, a young lad who wasn't really getting the rub of the green at Arsenal. Looked like he was starting to make a name for himself at Liverpool and then unfortunately, you know, injury strikes and that's it and you're out for a whole season again, which is a shame. You know, one thing coming completely away from the Premier League and everything is looking at... Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back. Obviously, he's had his ACL repaired not too long ago. And my God, for, for a guy of his age, having his ACL repaired to come back in, to the level that he's at. He's a lion. He's an absolute athlete. He is phenomenal, man. Like, you look at him and you think most people would retire, not come back and, and, you know, and go for a new challenge like he's done. So that's been incredible. I mean... You know, it's as I said though. I mean, for as far as injuries early, if you're starting, if you're getting injuries at this time of the season, you start getting a little bit frustrated with things because it's very early on now. And you know, the key to good success is keeping your team healthy for as long as you possibly can. For sure. All right, Simo, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure. We'll catch up again soon. Top man.